Welcome to the Small Business Buzz. I'm your host, attorney and entrepreneur, Kimberly Hanlon. Today, I'm talking about baby boomers starting new businesses and some things you will want to consider if you are starting up later in life. And we have Dan Rivkin here from Lifespan Insurance Advisors to talk about risk management for small business and what business owners need to know about how to protect their businesses if something should happen to them. Welcome. We're glad you're here. Okay, let's get to it. In recent years, baby boomers have started starting businesses at a greater and greater rate. And a recent update to the Kaufman Index of Entrepreneurial Activity now has those who are considered boomers as the segment with the largest number of new entrepreneurs. If you're not sure if you're a boomer, they're born between 1946 and 1964. So we're talking about people who have a good amount of season as far as their work experience goes. I think that the Great Recession hit this age group particularly hard. People got laid off, and despite their capability and experience, they had a hard time getting hired on elsewhere. If you know what you're doing in your field, and no one will hire you, why wouldn't you go out on your own? especially when the investments that you're planning to retire on have taken such a beating. Really, in a way, it's no wonder that the stats show that this group are becoming entrepreneurs at a greater and greater rate. You may be thinking about starting a new business, or maybe you've already started one later in life. Starting a new business might be the perfect thing to do to get the most out of what you've done in your career up to this point especially if you have some technical expertise that you can use on a consulting basis. Then again, starting up a business later in life, when you should be thinking about being conservative with your money, isn't always a good idea. There's definitely a wrong way and a right way to go about doing it. While I can't guarantee you'll succeed if you go about doing it the right way, if you do it the wrong way, you are just about certain to put yourself in a worse off financial position And you might not have enough time left in your working years to recoup. So if you're thinking about starting a business later in life, it's especially important to have a plan in place. So here's some tips for you if you're a boomer starting up a new venture. Well, actually, these are good tips for anyone starting up. It's just that they are all the more important for those boomers. Okay, the first one is prepare like mad. I mean... Business in itself requires a certain amount of preparation. I mean, you need to know what challenges you might face. You need to know what your competitors are doing. You need to know what the market is doing. You need to know what regulations exist in your particular field. And of course, you need to know all of that. But there's another piece of preparation that you also need to do, and that's a bit of introspection. You really need to know what your strengths are. But even more importantly, you need to know where your strengths aren't. In other words, where are the gaps in either your experience or maybe your personality or just maybe even your habits that you're going to need to think about how to fill? When you get in touch with that, you're going to know when you can rely on yourself and your experience and when you need to turn around and bring in somebody for some outside advice. The second, sort of related, 
is that you might think that help is a dirty word, but it's not. You need somebody on your side who is objective and can tell you what you need to hear instead of what you want to hear. It may be a business attorney, it might be a business coach, it might even just be a fellow entrepreneur who's walked that path before you. But whoever that person is, or even whoever those people are, objective advisors are worth their weight in gold. And if you're concerned about how much that sort of advice might cost you, the difference in the level of success for your business and what it can achieve and the time it takes can be huge. So you've got to really look at the cost versus the value. If you look at the difference that they can make in your business, the value is likely to be much higher than the cost. And again, somewhat related to that is the next tip, and that is really invest carefully. Really think about how much of your own money can you afford to put into your startup? And think about, if that's not enough, how can you finance your startup? Whatever you do, don't mix your business accounts and your personal accounts, because doing that really puts all of your personal assets at risk. The next tip, which I alluded to it in the first tip I gave, is to really research your market. And I know that I shouldn't have to tell you that, but so many people get an idea and they think it's a great idea for them. So of course, they think that other people really want it. That may or may not be true. So make sure before you start that there actually is a market for your product or your service. You might have to do a small test production run if it's a product and see how people react to it. Be sure that you're seeing how people outside of your friends and family are reacting to it. There's a natural bias for people who like you to want to see you succeed, and they may be just telling you what you want to hear. They don't mean you ill when they do that. It's just a natural thing to want to be supportive to people that you you know and like. This is particularly important if you have high development costs or if you're going to have to carry a bunch of inventory. The last thing you want to do is have all of your money tied up in a product that's sitting in boxes in your garage. And let's face it, in the coming years, you can't go buy groceries and you can't pay your mortgage with inventory that's sitting in your garage. Okay, the next tip, keep a super lean budget. There's really an important difference between cutting corners and being frugal. I'm not talking about cutting corners. I'm talking about avoiding the costs that you don't have to spend or spending money on things where you're not going to either make or save money. For instance, you might be able to start up your business and all you need is a cell phone and a laptop. You may not need a fancy office. You might be able to use your dining room table when you start. And even though I said I believe in starting lean and I believe in staying lean, you will need to spend some money to get your business going. So here's my rule of thumb. Only spend money on things that will either make or save you more money. So spending on marketing when it's done smartly is often better than, I don't know, let's say buying the latest computer gadget. But that said, if your computer's really out of date and it's slowing you down and it's killing your productivity, 
and you would actually make more money if you had a new one, then getting the new computer might be the thing to do. So really, for any purchase that you're going to make, you need to think about, is this making me money or saving me money? Or is this just something that I really would like to have? I want it for my business. If it's something that you just really want and would like to have for your business, but it's not something really integral to operating it, and it's not making you money, it's not saving you money, then put it on the list for something that you'll buy in the future once your business is really on solid footing. Okay, next, start with your end in mind. And what I mean by that is think about how it is that you want to exit the business and start that planning now. If you want to retire in a decade or two, then you need to really think about how you're going to grow your business. You need to make sure that you're building your business in such a way that it's a valuable and marketable asset that can be sold when you're ready. And there's a specific way to do that. And waiting until you're ready to sell, or even worse, when something tragic happens that then makes it that you have to step away from your business, is not the time to make that plan. It doesn't give you enough time to do that effectively. The thing to do is to start talking with your business attorney now about your business succession and how you need to make the plan for the upcoming transition. So I'm not trying to dissuade anybody from starting a business, or at least not out of hand, not without really looking at, is a business a good viable option for you? But if you're starting a business later in life, it's just all that more important for you to get all of your ducks in a row. And I would say what I just covered are the most important ducks. If you'd like to know more about this, be sure to check out today's blog post. The link to the post is on my show notes, or you can find it on my website at khanlonlaw.com. That's K-H-A-N-L-O-N-L-A-W.com. And while you're at it, sign up for my bi-weekly business newsletter. In each newsletter, I have articles that'll help you in running your business. And sometimes I have bonus materials for you to download for free, like small business legal guides, or recordings of webinars, or sometimes even model legal forms. Okay, up next is my interview with Dan Rivkin. Life of an entrepreneur is a never-ending struggle to sharpen that competitive edge that will place your business ahead of the competition. Fortunately, the shape of the average workplace has changed. Finding that fine balance struck between cost efficiency and excellence is now easier than ever. We need help when we need help, but we don't need to be burdened with full-time staff. That's where Astute Business Concierge can help you. Astute Business Concierge. More than just smart, astute. Visit us on the web at astutebusinessconcierge.com to see how we could help you. Okay, I'm here with Dan Rivkin with Lifespan Insurance Advisors. Thanks for being here today, Dan. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. So, um, why don't you tell us a little bit about Lifespan Insurance Advisors and the sort of the sort of things that you do. Sure, uh, Lifespan actually started about three years ago uh, when I decided it was time to form my own business. I had worked for a number of different 
companies and always wanted to be my own boss. And the time just seemed right. And there were some changes going on in the insurance world that made it an appropriate time to do it. So that's what I did. Uh, our focus is on insurance planning, primarily life, disability, and long-term care. And those are really the basis or the basics of people's financial plans. And we do lots of things in the financial world, but if your fundamental base isn't sound, uh, none of it really matters because if something happens to you, we deal in the what-ifs of life. You know, what if something happened to you where you lived too long, you died too soon, or you got injured or had an accident along the way? I'm so glad that you preface all of that with exactly what you said because the reason why I wanted you to be here today is for us to have a conversation about what business owners may or may not know about all three of those types of insurance and how they fit in not only a personal financial plan, but also the business's long-term viability plan. Sure. No, I, and I would agree. I think it it is important. It's important for people to look at it. It tends to get overlooked because insurance is nobody's favorite topic, uh, particularly any insurance that has to be pure risk where you're paying a premium for something that you hope doesn't happen. So it's not an exciting topic for people, but it's certainly vital. And uh, as a business owner, there's lots of things to be concerned with. You have uh, overhead, you may or may not have employees, um, you have issues of are you the sole income earner in the family? Even if you're not the income, sole income earner, what happens if, if you could no longer work? Uh, as you get older, you start to look at issues of uh, aging parents and then yourself and thinking about what happens if something happens to me. Uh, and as a business owner, you also have overhead and overhead expenses to continue even if something happens to you. It may be rent. It may be a mortgage if you own a building. Uh, it can be ongoing expenses to just pay, to keep a payroll running. And how do you cover those expenses? Again, if, what if, if something happens? And sometimes it's not just the business owner. Sometimes it's also some other key person that's not, um, an easily exchangeable sort of commodity. Oh, absolutely. Uh, it's You see that in the case of whatever the case may be. If it's, an, if it's in, like in your business, in, in the law firm, you may have a, a rainmaker who's working with you, and they bring in a lot of, of revenue because of their contacts, and something happens to them. And can you you actually can insure against th that risk. And it's it's... Not necessarily done all the time, but it's something that should, people should be aware of. And you can do that. Um, risk exists all over, and the insurance industry has done a good job of finding ways to insure. I think one of the reasons why sometimes it's a hard, I, I don't want to say a hard sell, but it's sometimes business owners don't always have it first and foremost in their mind, is that people just naturally say, oh, I can handle that tomorrow. Oh, no question. Probably the most frustrating part of, of my business, and every business has frustrations, but from my end of the world, it's talking to people about things that may happen. And as you say, it oftentimes gets put off because it's not a priority item. So I can think of an example. Um, 
And this gentleman actually gave me permission to use his name because we had been talking for over a year about uh, some long-term care planning. And he kept putting it off because he had other things to do and he was semi-retired. And I called him one day and he didn't answer. And a week later, I received a phone call from his wife who said she was returning his phone calls. And here was this healthy 63-year-old male who had just suffered a stroke. And I've seen him since, and he's making his way back, but uh, it'll be a, a long road to recovery. And he said, use my name. He said, I can't believe I didn't do something. And the good news is we're optimistic that in five years he'll be back to normal and we could insure him if he wants to. But it, it was it's scary, and his wife was scared, and, and the concern about, you know, oh, my gosh, what do we do for income? And she asked the question of, had he bought that policy, would we have been covered? And that's just not a fun one to answer. Right. Well, and and I hope that he does make a recovery. There are people who oftentimes do recover from strokes when they're they're mild. But I'm sure that if he is insurable in five years, what that looks like for him, as far as what the rates are going to be and what the terms of that would be, are not going to be at all the same as what they would have been if he had, well, been five years younger and not had any any medical issues. Oh, no question. No question. The, uh, insurance, the, the insurance that we deal in, whether it's life or disability or long-term care, all increases in cost as we get older. And the two risks are always uh, cost is one, but the bigger one is health because – Unfortunately for all of us, our health only tends to plateau or go down. We don't get healthier as we get older, for the most part, and it is a risk. And we, it's hard to quantify, and it's an intangible, but it does make a difference. You, you had mentioned earlier about uh, business owners, and, and given your profession as an attorney, you can appreciate that when you have more than one business owner, one of the things that's often done is a buy-sell agreement between owners. And oftentimes those agreements are unfunded, or if they're funded, they're typically funded for the death of one of the partners. And rarely is it discussed of, well, what happens if one of the partners becomes disabled? And it does happen. And there's nothing worse than having an agreement where you have an un- you have a business owner who's no longer eligible to work and and is receiving pay and the pay now becomes dividends because they're no long because they're not working and the active partner wants to invest in the business and grow it and the disabled partner wants money because they need cash and um it, it's a it's a lose lose situation and causes a lot of um conflict among two business owners so i would say that most of the business agreements that we see do address death, but rarely disability. And uh, unfortunately, disability actually happens more often than death. Well, that's where I can say that um, I put disability in every single one of my buy-sell agreements with an automatic buyout if the, the person is deemed disabled for a certain amount of time and that, that we're authorizing the company to buy disability insurance on behalf. Oh, that's excellent. I'm really glad to hear that because we just it's just not something that we see very often. More typically, what we would see is that the agreement 
calls for the buyout of the disability based on a disability, but there's no funding mechanism, which potentially is then even worse because now you have to figure out where does the cash come from to buy out this shareholder. And if it's a startup business, that's okay because there's usually not much value. But if you're talking about an established business or a growing business, then it's it's serious concern and you can strap the, the growth of the company by needing to take money out of the company to buy out the uh, disabled shareholder. Well, and I mean, I also build in there provisions for if a, if a buyout is over a certain amount of money, then it's, it's done in payments with sure. interest and all that. But that doesn't always work for the business and doesn't always work for the person who's being bought out, especially if they're, they have medical bills that are mounting. So insurance really is the best solution there. Yeah. No, I, I would agree. I, and I think the, the part that most people don't think about is you, it's easy to quantify loss of earnings. And, and if you can't work today and you are making whatever your salary was, that's easy to understand. But what people don't factor in is is a few things that if you are disabled and it's going to be long term, uh, you will be dropped from the company benefit plans. So health insurance premiums now become your responsibility as opposed to a corporate deduction. And if you have a retirement plan, you're no longer eligible to contribute to a retirement plan because you're no longer working. And so you've lost not only your current income, but your future savings and what you were going to live on. And then uh, the third one is no one has ever been disabled that didn't have increased expenses. There, It's just inevitable. There's medical, There, there's things that you just didn't think about. You know, and here we are in Minnesota and you can't shovel your driveway because you no longer are able to. So you have to hire someone to do that or maybe you need to be driven around. Or um, Expenses definitely go up during a disability. So it's... Um, it. it People just like to think, especially younger ones, that they're invincible. And older ones tend to think, well, it just won't happen to me. Or as you said, well, we'll think about it tomorrow because in right now our business priorities are what's number one. And then too much time passes and then all of a sudden, oh, well, I need to get that insurance, but I can't afford it. Right. Or I'm no longer insurable. Or I'm no, yeah, you're right. And, and both of them. And, and so... It's just that that's what we deal with on a regular basis. Okay, so let's take a quick break. All right.
to people not only about disability and overhead insurance and of course life insurance but also the value of long-term care insurance because i mean business owners are generally in business to actually have to build something of value that endures over time beyond them but long-term care really has the potential of wiping out everything that they've built but I get pushback because people say, oh, long-term care insurance is so expensive. And it's a, if you don't use it, you lose it sort of benefit. So now I talk to people about the hybrid policies. And it seems like that's more palatable to a lot of people. Will you, will you kind of touch on that and how there's been that shift in the industry and what's available to people now? Cause I think a lot of people don't know. Sure. Oh, I think you're right. The, um, the hybrid policy that you refer to actually came about from the Pension Protection Act of 2006, and it allowed for people to purchase life insurance policies with a HIPAA-approved long-term care rider and use the cash value of those policies to pay for long-term care tax-free. That was effective January 1st, 2010. It was the first time you could actually pull the cash out of those products for long-term care tax-free. So they've really only been around uh, now on our fifth year. And so there is not, there's a, a lot uh, of people who don't even know about them still because the marketing of long-term care insurance used to be insurance salespeople would go and they would meet people and say, what have you done about long-term care? And the answer is either nothing or I've bought insurance. And so for people who could afford a larger premium, they would often say, I don't need it because I have enough money. And as you'd mentioned, pure risk insurance is not something that people get real excited about doing because you need an event to qualify and to get your money. And yet who wants to think that this is going to happen to them? So the the hybrid products uh, are by far and away the largest growing segment of the long-term care industry. And they, for a while, they were sold almost exclusively on a single pay basis. So you had to come up with a lump sum of somewhere, the, the industry averages about $75,000. And so there's a lot of people that don't have that kind of money available. But that industry, like everything else, evolves. And now you can actually, there are companies that sell that same product where you can make premium payments for somewhere between two and 10 years. And so instead of having to come up with a, a lump sum of $75,000 on average, you could now do, say, $7,500 a year or $5,000 a year for 10 years and, and actually get a pretty good benefit. So uh, we've seen a lot of changes as the industry has evolved and the, the long-term care industry has grown up because there were some problems early on with policies of being the benefits were too rich and the premiums were too minimal and, and we're seeing in big increases on those older policies. And as the industry has matured, uh, we're seeing that a, a sort of a change in how people view what they're trying to ensure. So if you think of uh, long-term care as health insurance, and in a sense it is a health insurance-related product, our health insurance plans have deductibles and 80-20 type concepts where you as the 
policyholder pay a portion of the cost. And people are starting to now look at long-term care in a similar vein. So instead of saying, I need a policy that would pay 100% of the worst-case scenario, we're now people seeing people shift to say, you know, if I had a policy that paid 80% uh, of the average cost or 100% of the average cost of, of, say, home care or assisted living care, that's really a good thing because that's what applies to most people. Most people don't end up in a nursing home, which is what the average person thinks of when you say long-term care. Their mind immediately goes to a skilled nursing facility, and the reality of it is not that many people end up at skilled nursing facilities, but lots of people do get care at home. I have a, a client who it's his business. to uh, He has a, a home, a home health care business, and thank goodness that that's what most people do. Mm-hmm. No, and you're right. And and if you think about it, there's a lot of logic to that, which is most of us would say if something were to happen to me, I want to stay in my home. Why you wouldn't want to uproot yourself and go to a facility that that is seems to be institutional, or even the now where we're building, you know, nicer at least assisted living facilities. Um, it's just not what you tend to think of. You People like their homes and there's comfort there and, and the comfort allows you to live a better life. And so, yes, home health care is a big, big business these days. And actually, about 75 to 80% of all long-term care claims are for home care. That's interesting. I, I didn't realize that. In Minnesota, uh, I can't speak for the rest of the country, but in, in Minnesota, we actually have a moratorium on nursing homes. You can replace an existing nursing home, but you cannot build a new one. And uh, that's partly because it's it's a an arms race. And if you build it, they will come. And so what happens, at least in, in the skilled nursing facilities, the the vast proportion of people there are on Medicaid, they so they weren't able to stay in their home because they didn't have the resources, and yet they needed care, and so they end up in a nursing home uh, as much because they will get paid for through Medicaid dollars as opposed to being at home where they would need to pay, a as your friend who runs the business, a home health care provider, and they just don't have the ability to do that. And, of course, the more that's available here, Minnesota, well, I'm, I've lived in Oklahoma, and Minnesota, and practice law in both, Minnesota's long-term care medical assistance program is infinitely more advanced and, and better just across the board than, say, Oklahoma's. And so if they had more capacity, I am certain that there would be people coming from other states. Oh, I think you're probably right. And, and we see that, or at least we hear about stories of of buses of people coming here just because of the social services that the state of Minnesota does provide. So it's it's beyond just long-term care, but I think you're right that and we have no residency requirements short of when you show up and say I'm I'm now I'm no longer an Oklahoman, I'm a Minnesotan then you're in. Yeah. I mean and we I mean Minnesota does have more aggressive clawback provisions for getting paid back from estates, but I mean oftentimes there's nothing to get paid back. Right. When it comes to long-term care, yes, you're, you're right. Because if you're on Medicaid, you've already exhausted your resources, as, as I'm sure you know that. If you're a single person, uh, you can keep $3,000. And so there's really nothing there. Some, I mean, every now and then, like the home, the home might be an exempt 
asset at the time that they're getting the medical assistance. And so, of course, after they die, the, the home gets liquidated, and that would go back. But there's so many cases where, I mean, it just, it takes everything. I've been the conservator for this um, lady who, she's turning 100 in June. Congratulations. Well, yes and no yeah. congratulations. You know, she she's blown through half a million dollars. Wow. Yeah. She had no long-term care, and I am no long-term care insurance. I've been her conservator for the last, well, since 2009, and um, I am this month applying for medical assistance for her. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, half a million dollars gone. So there's a lot of people who would think, well, half a million dollars, that's, you know, it's not huge, but it's nothing to sneeze at. And she blew through it. Sure. And and so, you know, that comes back to what we, when we meet with clients, is we talk about a plan. And what is the plan? And and the issue in, in her case may have been, you know, what was her intention to do with her estate? Did she want, who did she want it to go to? Did she want it to go to children? If she had children, or did she want to go to a charity, or to relatives, or nieces, or nephews, or or, or what have you? But um, I don't think anyone pl- anyone's plan says, "Well, I want a half a million dollars to go to take care of me." Because if they did, if they really thought that was going to happen, then sort of by default they would buy insurance because it's significantly cheaper than just liquidating half a million dollars of assets. And it gets the problem also gets compounded. By the fact that if you start using your assets that way, uh, you get into issues of, uh, of like mar- market timing, for example. If it was in the stock market, are we in an up market or a down market? Was it in retirement plans? And therefore, we have to not only do we have to sell it in a market where we don't want to, but oh, it's now taxable income because it was in a 401k plan or an IRA. So uh, there's lots involved on the planning san- standpoint. And it's not just as simple as saying, well, I have a half a million dollars so I can cover my long-term care and, and I don't care. We look at it quite simply as people need to have a game plan. And the plan is, what do you want to do? And, and what do you want to do from a, a care standpoint if something were to happen to you? And what do you want to have happen to your assets even before you have the need for care? And so we, work, we end up working very closely with people like yourself because estate planning attorney, attorneys are heavily involved in at least planning for the legal disposition of assets, and and yet a, a need for a law or a long-term care event can throw a, a wrench into those plans significantly. So, and when I when I'm talking to business owners, I talk to them about actually doing in a way double planning. They need to plan for whatever happens that takes care of their family. I mean that's that's the natural planning that everybody thinks about. And then they also need to do that planning that takes care of their, their business. Sure. No, you're right. And you know, sort of tying the two together, one aspect of planning that maybe isn't well-known, certainly among the business owners, but it is among the attorneys, but maybe not among the business owner, is that long-term care insurance premiums are a deductible business expense. Some of them, depending upon the structure of the business, some of them are fully deductible. Others are partially deductible up to uh, based on age and the dollar amount that is allowed by the law. But in essence, it's sort of like going to Macy's here and buying things at 30% off because it's a deductible expense. And so it, it makes the concept of, of buying a pure risk product a little more palatable when you get it, when you get it at a discount. And you need it anyway. 
And you need it anyway. I, well, you need a plan for sure. Yes. Whether, yes, yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, it, just an added benefit. Um, shift gears a little bit because we haven't really touched on, on, on life insurance. And I think the life insurance part of people's plans are, are probably also not that well understood. I think the industry in general has given itself a bad name in terms of insurance is a valuable piece of anybody's financial plan. And the interesting part is that the average person probably is underinsured. The business owner always feels they're overinsured because they not only are there issues about life insurance or disability or long-term care, but then there's overhead insurance and there's property casualty and there's liability. And after a while, they think that they're working just to support the insurance industry. But life insurance has some unique characteristics that uh, allow it to be a very beneficial planning piece uh, for anyone. And for business owners, you end up uh, looking at lots of issues if you're plan if you have children and maybe one of your children wants to be in the business and two of them don't. And yet, so how do you equalize your estate at, at the time or when the time comes to have a distribution? Because the one family member wants a third, but they get the whole business. So how do you divide that out? And so life insurance can be a very valuable planning tool, at least from that standpoint. I have um, clients who also use the cash value of their whole life as as a as a bank as a bank. Yes, when they need it. Yeah, no, it it, it is. It's a great tool from that standpoint. In that. It, cash value is your money. I mean, it's an asset and it's, it's r- readily usable by you, uh, obviously depending upon how much cash is built up in those policies. But yes, you can borrow against them. You can pay them back. Um, it is a nice revenue source without having to go to the bank or getting a line of credit. That's true. I mean, the cash value of your life insurance policy is available to you regardless of what el- whatever else you have going on in your credit picture at that moment. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But uh, again, um, I think the industry hasn't done itself a good service because we haven't explained well enough to people the value of life insurance and where its uses can be. People just tend to look at it as, well, it's not for me because I'll be, I'm dead. And it's for a survivor. And yet, you're, as you mentioned, you can use it during your lifetime and, and have some really valuable needs. Um, and the interesting thing about the life insurance industry as a whole is that regardless of good or bad economic times, I believe that there has never been a life insurance policy that hasn't paid a death benefit where it was a legitimate claim, regardless of good times, bad times. Um, I have seen where we've had to go in and appeal decisions to get them to pay out. Um, it's not always it's not always an easy road dealing with the life insurance company, especially on a a large policy. Mm-hmm. Well, and and I understand those do happen, but for the most yeah. part, it, it's certainly not been an issue where the life insurance industry went out of business. Oh, and no, left for people, sure, no. <laughs> you know, it's not, it, it, so from that standpoint, it's been quite positive as opposed to the, you know, the horror stories of people's retirement plans all tied up in one company in stock oh, and, pensions and, 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 all and, that. and then oh, they're left, gosh. yes, and then they're left hold with nothing. Whereas in, even in the cases of the seventies where we had some rather aggressive insurance companies trying to 
increase their investment returns and they subsequently went out of business, other insurance companies acquired their assets. And the policyholders suffered a bit in that they didn't quite have the benefit level from a cash value standpoint that they may have thought, but their death benefits were intact and they may have had to pay premiums a little bit longer, but um, at the end of the day, they were still whole or, or close to whole. Have you seen, um, there's this thing that can happen where if the if the insurance policy isn't making the returns that are um, projected, that over time, the policy can fail. Have you seen that happen? Absolutely. Um, and that really started again in the, in the 80s when interest rates were really high. And you had people make, you had insurance salespeople making projections to their clients to say, look, you'll only have to pay four years or five years or six years of premiums. And then this thing will sustain itself because you'll use the cash value to pay future premiums. And while those projections looked great at 12% interest rates, here we are in an environment of 3% or 4% interest and it just is unsustainable. And so, uh, yes, the, those policies either lapsed for lack of premium payment or you got very unhappy policyholders who had to pay a substantial amount more than they had anticipated. If there's good news in a, in a low interest rate environment where we exist today, it is that products are priced such that they really can't get much lower because they all have guaranteed minimums. And those minimums are typically 3% today. And that's about the interest rate environment that we're in. So they, at least from a, a, there is upside potential there and very little downside anymore based on buying things today. Would it be wise, though, for somebody who's had a policy for a long time to have that policy reviewed to make sure that that there isn't going to be some some lapse uh, coming on the horizon that they may not realize? Oh, absolutely. There's no question that insurance in general is not any different than any other financial product that you purchase, and it should be reviewed on a regular basis, if not annually, certainly every couple of years. Life changes. Uh, there are life events that happen. If you're in a business, your business may be increasing in value, so maybe it needs to be looked at. Uh, maybe it was decreasing in value, and here's a way to save some money. Or, as you mentioned, in, in, in these older policies where they may be okay today, you're 50 years old, and you've been making payments for the last 10, 15 years, but that policy is is like a train wreck, and it's coming up against a wall. And so if it, they should be reviewed regularly to see how they are performing. So, no, that's a very good point. And, and you can, as you know, transfer policies. There, there are, There's a provision of the tax code that allows for exchange of from one policy to another so you don't lose your the tax benefits and you may get yourself out of a situation that was uh, that was going to blow up on you eventually and the and the industry does change like everything else and they come out with new products and we're living longer and there's different ways to structure things so uh an annual review is is definitely in order and since they aren't done very often, uh, it's really a good idea. This has been a really good conversation, Dan, and I think that uh, business owners probably have a lot that they've learned um, from this conversation. If somebody wants to reach out to you, how can they reach you? 
Well, first of all, thanks for having me, Kimberly. It's really been a pleasure, and I hope it's been helpful. If someone wants to reach us, they can certainly go onto our website at lifespanadvisors.com, and all our contact information is there. Or simple, old-fashioned, pick up the phone and call us at 612-424-8500 and be happy to answer any questions they have. So, And email, of course, email's on the website. And it's just a long email address, so it's easier to just go to the website. Great. And I'll put a link to the website on my show notes so people can go there as well. Great. That's great. And there's obviously there's contact information and fill it in, and we'd be happy to help any of the listeners out there. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. I appreciate your time. next week for the Small Business Buzz when I give you the top 10 legal tips for entrepreneurs and what you need to know about each vital tip. We'll also visit with communications and effectiveness coach Les Hill and he'll give us some of his best tips. And join me on March 19th at 6.30pm at the Pool and Yacht Club in Lilydale for a free estate planning workshop. It's called How to Choose the Right Estate Planning Tools for You and Your Family, an interactive workshop with tangible results, and we'll have hors d'oeuvres for you too. The event is hosted by Dakota Valley Associates Thrivent Financial, so huge thanks to all those guys. If you want more information, you can find the link to the events page on my show notes, or you can look for it on eventbrite.com. You can find other links and useful information on our show notes at thesmallbusinessbuzz.com as well. And be sure to follow us on iTunes or Stitcher. If you're liking what you're hearing, please give us a good rating and maybe even leave a review. Of course, a lawyer would have a disclaimer, and here is mine. Any information provided on the show is for informational purposes only and is not intended as legal advice. The show theme music is Pioneers by Jason Shaw, released under a Creative Commons Attribution 3.0 license. And the music interlude is Redwood Trail by Jason Shaw, released under a Creative Commons Attribution 3.0 license. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next week.